We're going to read a section from Scripture in John chapter 3. I'll read the big section, and then I'm preaching on three particular verses in this bigger section of Scripture. Uh, Listen to Jesus as he talks about Numbers chapter 21 that we just read and applies it to himself and to our salvation. Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. I can't find things. I look in the cupboard for pickles, and they're not there. And then I say to my wife, do we have any pickles? And that's guy code language for, I know we have pickles. I'm too lazy to look for them. Can you come and find them for me? And I I get her with that every time. She hasn't figured this out yet. When I say, do we have any pickles? That I want her to find them. And then she'll come and drop whatever she's doing, open the cupboard, push the mayonnaise to the side, grab the big container of barbecue sauce, put it on the counter, snake her arm around a couple cans of sauerkraut, grab something that's on top of the can of tuna and pull it out, and it's pickles! She knew just where to look, or maybe how to look. I can't find things. There's emails that I aren't in my inbox anymore, and I need them. And, and they're gone. And I have a friend who tells me, you know, I, I use Gmail, so he says, don't, don't use any folders. Just delete. When you're done with it, just delete it. And then if you need it, you just search for it. You put it in the right person's name or email address or or keyword, and bam, it'll be there. Oh, that makes me nervous. So I I put emails in folders. I have like 29 folders in my, and I I store emails in them because I don't trust that if I look for them, because it actually happens. If I delete one and it's not in the folder, then I go to look for it, and I do the search thing, and I can't find it. And then I call my friend, and he does some magic code thing, or I don't know. And he finds it for me in in my own Gmail system. Knowing 
when you're looking for things, knowing where to look is, is always important, isn't it? That's very true in our faith, too. It was true in the Old Testament when the snakes came, the venomous snakes, and bit the people, knowing where to look for the antidote, for the cure, was very important. There was only one place for them to look, and that was it. They couldn't look anywhere else. And then Jesus says, knowing where to look when we want to be forgiven and be saved and be right with God is very important. There's only one place, Jesus says, to look. That's it. There's no, nowhere else. You won't find it anywhere else. Jesus says, look at me. Here are the words. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So Jesus compares himself to this this one, not all snakes, but this one particular bronze snake that in the Old Testament Moses made by God's command so that the people who were bitten by snakes that were sent by God to draw them closer to God would live. And Jesus says, I'm just like that snake that Moses put up on this pole, that, that bronze snake. That's, I'm like that. In what way? in that Jesus is the antidote. Jesus is life for those who are experiencing dying or could experience death by the venom, the poison of sin in our lives, sin in our hearts. That's, that's really the problem why we need to look at Jesus is that, that sin is in our hearts. Now, we see sin all the time, or I should say, signs of sin or symptoms of sin. Sin is bullying at school or online. Sin is cancer, disease. Sin is having to pull weeds from your lawn. Sin is a mom in childbirth screaming from pain. Sin is friction with coworkers and strife in your family. Sin is going to a funeral. Sin is caring for a, a loved one, a parent, a grandparent who is dying. Sin is a baby being born with a disease. Now, I want to be very careful here. I'm not saying each of those is, is a punishment because that person sinned. I'm not saying that. That's not true. But I am saying those things are present in our world because sin is present in our world. If it weren't for sin in our world, none of those things would be happening. But because they do, they remind us sin is present in our world. I was pulling a weed from my lawn yesterday, and I... I was with Kara in the yard, and I said, thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. Uh, that's because Adam and Eve sinned. Those things are here. So if, you, if you're ever bitten by a poisonous snake, what deserves immediate attention? You're right, you're bit. It's a venomous, it's a poisonous snake, and you're bit by a snake. Ah, you see the puncture marks in your arm. I'm, I've never been bitten by a snake, but I'm imagining this is how it, how it is. You see the two puncture marks. Maybe you see a little blood coming out of there, but maybe the fangs are so sharp there's not a lot of blood, but a little blood, and maybe some other like clear almost or, or opaque substance that's kind of 
trickling out of there as well, mixed with blood. And uh, what's, what, what's the first thing that you do? Well, you call it another one. Okay, after that, I got to get a Band-Aid. If I get a Band-Aid and put it right on top of this so I don't see the blood, that's, that's, what's gonna, that's the first thing I should do. Yes or no? No. Then what should I do? I find something that's a tourniquet, right? A piece of cloth or maybe a stick that can go through it. And I wrap that thing anywhere between the bite and my heart, right? So that the venom gets stuck in my extremity and doesn't flow, right? I don't treat what's on the outside. I treat what's on the inside. Bullying at school. Friction with coworkers. Family strife. Sitting at your dad's bed while he's dying. Attending a funeral. There are excellent coping mechanisms, science, medicine, everything for treating the, what's on the outside, and we should pay attention to those. But we should also understand those don't treat what's on the inside. And we should make sure that in every instance of the presence of sin, we're treating what's on the inside. Therapists will tell you, or counselors, that people come and see them and, and tell them what's going on in their lives, what's wrong. And, uh, and they, they have a phrase for this. They call it the presenting problem. Okay? It's not a bad thing, but it's just a, a definer. It just means when a person, when you go and see a therapist, and you tell them what's going on, that this is why I'm here. I'm not sleeping well, and I'm, get, I'm irritable with my family, and, and uh, I have these headaches. And Okay, great. They need to know that stuff because that's a signal of something, usually something else, something deeper. So they call it the presenting problem. It's what you present, but it's, they're going to peel back the onion and get to the deeper problem. I, uh, I had an arm injury. Right, right here. I would try to put on a shirt. Ah! Try to reach for my seatbelt over here. And, oh! Just, oh! Put reaching up in the cupboard for sauerkraut. Oh! It hurt. I, trying to vacuum. Oh! Mm-mm. That, that was really bad. That was the worst thing. Uh, <laughs> so eventually, I complained about it enough where my wife said, you, you, you just go see the doctor. Not, I, I think she was concerned about me, but just more so just sick of me complaining about it. And so I went to see the doctor. He sent me to a, thera- a, a sports therapist for sports injuries. I go to the, the sports injury doctor. He has me do a couple arm movements. I mean, literally, like three seconds. Put your arm here. Put your arm here. How does this feel? How does that feel? Okay, you're fine. There's nothing strained. There's nothing torn. You just have some uh, scar tissue, and, and you need to work on your posture. And, uh, and here's what we're going to do. And he started working. The pain was right here. He started working there, and like shoulder blades. And he gave me uh, therapy exercises to do that weren't even related to this. I, I kid you not, glute squeezes. Did you not hear me? I have a pain in the arm, not in, well, right? But, it's getting better because he knows his business more than I do. 
And he knows that when it comes to how your, your muscles and your spine and your skeleton all work together, he, he uses the term, it all radiates from the middle. And so, it's better. He never touched this, not once. He touched up here and on my back and had me doing exercises related to my back and glute squeezes. Made this better. That uh, I, I went back just this last week and I said, you know, it's, it's getting better. There's a little pain, there's a little soreness now here. Not so much here anymore, but up here. He said, oh, that's good. That's called centralization. What does that mean? Well, it means that it's working and that it, it's showing you that it's, it, remember I said it's, it radiates from the middle? It's coming into the middle now and it's working on what's really most important. So keep doing your glute squeezes. We need to trust the professional, Jesus, when we experience the symptoms of sin. And we need to trust that the problem's on the inside. We need to go to the middle. Everything radiates out from, from there, from the middle. Uh, and sin can kill us, and so we need to treat the sin and not just the symptom. That's what God was doing with the Israelites in the Old Testament. That's what Jesus is doing with these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want to make three points about that verse. Point number one. God's solution for your sin is substitution. So that means his solution for you involves you, but you're the object of the antidote. You're not the giver of the antidote. You're not the subject. You're the object of the gift. And God's solution is not you doing anything but a substitute. To, right? You, you, we need a total blood transfusion. Right? I don't go to God and say, you know, I'm a little, I'm feeling a little sick with sin. I probably should do something to make myself better. Maybe a, a few home remedies. If I, if I sip on this tea, if I uh, take these kind of drugs, if, I, if I, uh, I get more cardio in and work out more and burn it away, I, uh, right, I drink some vinegar, I could do something and, and get a little better, Jesus, from being sick with sin. And he says, no, that won't work. You need a total transfusion. So there's this verse in 1 John. It says, The blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. Instead of looking at death, we look at life because Jesus' blood is life. It's pure and holy. And it's the antidote for the venom of sin in our lives. Substitution. Number two, God's cure for us is complete. God so loved the... God loves everybody. Unless your name is Darren. No, no, no. It doesn't say that, right? God loves everybody. Jesus died for the world, everybody. Jesus died for unbelievers who are going to be in hell. Jesus died for them. They're, the reason they're in hell is not because he lacked 
they lacked anything from God. First of, they didn't lack anything. Jesus gave it all. Jesus paid it all. They just didn't want the payment, didn't believe. Jesus died for everybody, the, the worst, most undeserving, most terrible, unhealthy sinner. Jesus died for that person too. That is so good for us because we can tell ourselves the lie, you know. Jesus loves all those other people. Look at what's happening in their life. Everything's so good for them. Boy, they, it, that, I, in, in my life, I'm just, wow, Jesus must not love me. And we need to go to this verse about God's universal love. That it's, it's complete. There's nothing lacking either in its quality or its quantity. In its quality, Jesus didn't do 99% for you and then say, but I need you to do this. I'm going to talk about that in a second. And quantity, there's not a single person on the planet who lacks the payment of sin that Jesus gave, including you, including all the time. That's why we say God is good. That's right. Our response, thirdly, is receiving it. What's God's will for me? What does God want? What's his path? What's his, what, what, what does he want? What's his direction? What's his purpose? But man, you can do no better for yourself than to boil that all up and make it very simple. Make it very simple. This is what we did when as pastors and church leaders, we came up with a, we call it our discipleship process. It really ends up to be our core values of what makes discipleship important at Holy Word. The number one Core value and, pe- and discipleship process that starts the path and is first in sequence and importance of the four B's, hint, hint, the number one is what? Believe. That, that sums up more than any other word what's, what's more important sequentially and, and primarily. And that, that is what God wants for you. If you struggle with knowing what, what, what God's will is for you, sometimes you're not going to know what's called God's hidden will, it's, and you're never going to know it. He just wants, he doesn't want you to know it, but here's what he wants. He wants you to believe. And believe primarily in this, the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And he loves you, and Jesus died for you. God doesn't ask you to do a bunch of therapy exercises. When you come to him and you're sick with sin and you say, I need, I need fixing, I need, I need a solution. He doesn't say, well, why don't you do some of these and some of these, some of these. There's nothing for you or for me to do when it comes to God loving us and saving us. Nothing. Our response is simply open hands and open arms that say, wow, thanks, I got it. It's mine. I claim it. That's believing. That's faith. We don't have to find forgiveness. We don't have to fight for peace with God. Jesus fought the battle for us. He's the victor. We don't have to figure out how to be better, how to be perfect. It's all a gift. If, if you're considering Christianity... 
Or maybe you know someone who is. Or you're just, you're a veteran Christian, but, but too often you struggle with, where is God in my life? What, did, what does he want from me? Uh, we're going on six years without a building at this church. It should be right there by now, but it isn't. What does God want from us? What's he, what's he doing to us? What, is he, what did he want from the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness? What did he want? What do we have to give God so that stuff happens? I don't think there's a good answer to that because I don't think that's a good question. Because this, here it is now. If you're considering Christianity or struggling in your faith as a Christian, here's the most important thing for you to believe and put at the top of your mental list. Our God, the, God, the true and only God of the Bible, is a giver not a taker. His very essence as God and everything he describes about himself as he relates to people in the Bible, he's a giver, not a taker. He is most joyfully fulfilled as God when you are receiving what he gives you freely and not trying to earn it, not trying to work for it, not bummed out that you can't do what you think he wants you to do, not trying to f- figure out his secret will, but just that, you are, that you're here, that you're listening, that your heart is saying, thank you for giving me what I wouldn't have on my own. Thank you, Jesus. Our God is a giver. He doesn't need anything. He's God. If there's one thing that he needs, it's that we need him. And then he's in giving mode, giving us his mercy. Life, my friends, is a gift. Life with God. Full life. A forgiven life. A life of peace and contentment. Not just in eternity, but right now. Right now. And that's why they call right now the present. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for being a giver. All other gods, all other religions, except the one that you have given to us, are about demanding, are about rule-keeping, are about finding perfection. And all their adherents and all who believe in these lies are going to be sad on the last day and are even sad now. Lord, it's in only in humility and only because of your mercy that we can say thank you for being our God, for being our Savior, for being the giver of all that we have, especially of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. When we tend to fix our eyes on the things of this world and, the, and successes and achievements and how we wish things would be and expectations and ideals and strategies and goals, Lord, let them be servants and not masters. May your love be the master. May your mercy be the goal. 
May your grace and forgiveness in our life be the main thing. And then, Lord, when it is, everything else in our life will be in its appropriate place. This, too, is a gift from you. Amen.